Pronto's more than a messaging app. Today's door-to-door organizations and sales teams demand better than what free messaging apps can offer. Enters Pronto, a single communication hub for your entire organization with a clean design that elevates your brand and doesn't require any training. This is why the door-to-door experts have partnered with Pronto. With real-time direct and group messaging, video conferencing, announcements, unlimited file sharing and storage, administrative capabilities, and more, Pronto will help your organization communicate, collaborate, recruit, train, retain, and be more successful. So swipe up, try for free, win more. Hey everybody, this is Sam Taggart and Jason Harris with Harris Investment Groups. And we've been partners on a bunch of stuff. And so you've heard his podcast, maybe on Bigger Pockets, maybe one of the podcasts that we've done in the past. Uh, he spoke at Door to Door Con many years and has been one of our platinum vendors every year. So anybody that's interested in real estate, investments, syndications, uh, big commercial or multifamily projects, and maybe you got a hundred grand or 500 grand or a million bucks, you're like, hey, I want to put somewhere and do something with it. Uh, it's a really easy turnkey way to get in on real good real estate deals. And I wouldn't say that unless I've personally um, done real estate with Jason. So hit up Paris Investment Groups. Uh, this isn't me just trying to pitch anything other than the fact that Jason has literally changed my life and we're going to tell you that story on this podcast. And I could not be more eternally grateful for this man. He's made me millions of dollars and will continue to make millions of dollars over the years. So Thanks, Sam. Appreciate that. Pleasure having you on the show, man. Absolutely. So can I, can I, can I give the preface to this? Can Please. I, okay. So he, Please. he does a podcast. What was that? It was in my basement back in Lehigh. What? Yeah. Four years ago. Four years ago, maybe. Four years ago. Jason's like, Hey, you know, I was like, dude, you're in real estate. You're in bigger pockets. Can I meet you? And I don't know. He's kind of in a circle and I sit down with him and I had, uh, at the time I had two fourplexes, a threeplex, a duplex, and I told, I said, Jason, you're smarter than me. And this is a principle. This is what I'm, this is what I'm saying. If you're listening to this, this is a very important principle to pay attention to. Hey, Jason, you're smarter than me. I don't really know what I'm doing. I mean, my dad was in real estate. I'm just, I just heard you're supposed to buy real estate. And I did that. Look at my portfolio. And what would you do? Do you remember that conversation? I do. Yeah. And what happened? What'd you say? Like, what was the analysis? So I used to do a portfolio analysis breakdown just to assess how strong your returns are. A lot of people don't realize over time there's a lot of built up equity inside their property. and All they're really seeing is their cash flow distribution that's hopefully building up over time. But really, that number divided by a much greater amount of equity you have in the property is actually a declining number. And people don't realize that. In the state of Utah, if you look over the last five to seven years, we've had massive appreciation take place. And so really what I wanted to help you with is just to see you're doing really well, but could you be doing better? And what's important to you? Is it purely just income? Because maybe if that is, that keeping what you're doing is working fine. But if you're looking to grow your wealth and maximize your return and get some tax benefits along the way, there is a better way. And I don't want to just tell you that. I want to prove it to you. And I'm going to show you through the numbers what you've been doing, what you've received in the return, but what you could do and which one you'd prefer. And I think that's kind of how the conversation went. Yeah. And so Jason was a financial planner for how long? Seven years. Never Jones. And then he decided, if I have money, I want to put it into real estate, not just annuities and life insurance and stuff like that. Right. Ironically, I bought real estate 
before I was a financial advisor oh, really? and wanted to do real estate as a career, but I didn't want to be a real estate agent. I wanted to be an investor. Yeah, yeah. But how do you invest if you don't have much money? So it was more financial advisor by day, real estate, real estate investor by night, until I know how I can be a more meaningful yeah. real estate syndicator, investor, and, and such. And so real estate's always been what I love and I'm passionate about. But I understand the other assets and diversification and, and, and the like. But uh, yeah. Love that. So he sits down and he goes, you could have, let's say I had, I don't know, a million or two million in properties growing at 10% or 5% or whatever the appreciation is, or you could have $4 million of property growing at this much based on what equity you have. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Would you rather have 2 million growing at 10% or 4 million growing at 10%? It's the You know, you already have the money there. And so I was like, so what do I do? He's like, well, you can sell or cash out refi. And I was like, he's like, but I would sell them. I'm like, whatever you would do, do it. And he's like, really? And I was like, yep, here's the keys to the homes. <laughs> Good luck. And he was like, right, like, really? And I was like, yeah. And, and you were kind of like, you were kind of on your up, right? Like trying to get your foot in the door. And you'd only, what, had at that time, how many doors? Um, you know, this was after bigger pockets. So I yeah. still had probably a small amount of hundreds of units. Yeah. But certainly was getting into doing bigger type properties, bigger being five to ten million dollar types, where most of my past was always duplexes, fourplexes, maybe an eight or twelve plex here and there. And so, yeah, I was just at the point now of doing some bigger deals yeah. and was excited about it because I'd seen what we were doing and, and actually had done a lot of volume, but it was always smaller type deals. But again, the appreciation in those, because I had amassed a good amount in the portfolio, was strong, that I had a lot of equity built up that I was ready to roll into something more meaningful. Yeah. And that was yeah about the time that you and I were talking about doing something. And I think what I was impressed with is I don't ever want to like push someone to do something they're not comfortable with, but I was just really impressed that it's like, look, I get it. Let's do it. And and I felt like, whoa, I just, I want to make sure this is good for you. Yeah, I don't want like, you to just, sure? yeah, you're just like all in. Let's go. go sell them all. Done it. And I'm all like, right. well, you want to talk about more or anything? <laughs> you know, well, so that's like today, today. Okay. We're going to talk about a deal right now. So if you're listening to this guys, guys, I'm telling you, I'm, 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 and when I, I'm not, I'm not like trying to boast. I'm not trying I'm trying to toot Jason's horn. There's two good solutions here. One, it's the richest man of Babylon. Give your money to the brick maker. Don't like, if he knows how to make bricks, then don't give your money to the brick maker because he makes bricks yeah. and give your money to the guy that knows what to do with the money. And you're a sales guy, right? I'm a door to door solar alarm trainer. Like, yeah, I know money, but I'm also like, there's smarter people than me. So give your money to the people that are smarter. And I'm going to come up with a couple principles that I follow when investing and he checked some of these boxes. And so I was like, all right, done. Like it, it didn't, it didn't, like there was no question. And then here's the other problem. People with investments always say, one day I want to get into real estate. When I have X, Y, Z, when I make 500 grand, then I can start into real estate. You guys realize like Jason said, he's like, yeah, I started doing a lot of volume, but he was doing onesie twosies, a little duplex here, a little house there, a little, and he built this portfolio. Now he's doing bigger commercial deals. But how many years had you been doing? I mean, you were in Since 2010. 2010. Yeah. And he's over here like, well, I did real estate on the side while doing Edward Jones, taking that little money that just I was like making. you were even yeah. really, but maybe I was a little more active in it. Yeah. And it was, it wasn't like you were making stupid amounts of money. Like some of these no. dudes that are selling 
summer sales or doing the door-to-door thing, it's like they're, you're, they're making way more than you are making as a financial planner. And, Absolutely. And they're like, well, you know, I don't have enough money yet. I'm like, well, if he was able to do it, like I promise you guys, anybody can. So let's keep going with the story. So I, he, he said, I saw my two fourplexes and I d- subdivided them into single townhomes. And I turned, I think total in, I probably put in about 300 grand. So I bought two fourplexes, each 150,000 each, uh, probably four years prior. And then, so over four years, that that 300 grand had turned into about a million bucks. And so I had a million dollars of equity in these assets. And so I took that million bucks and he's like, I have this apartment that I'm buying. Do you want to partner in on this? And so we went in and partnered on a 56 plex. So principle number one that I want to teach is one, find somebody that's willing to put their money with you. So I'm like, okay, we're doing this. How much money are you putting in? He's like, I'll put X in. You put your million bucks in and, uh, and then let's do it. So if he's willing to put his own skin in the line, then you know this isn't a bad deal. Like somebody that's smart is not going to be like, yeah, just to earn your business, I'm going to put in X amount of dollars. Right. right. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and it was a meaningful amount. I mean, you put in quite a bit more, but I put a half a million in. So I'm obviously convinced it's a good deal. Yeah. You're not going to be like, um, oh, just, I hope it does, like, just to get his, but yeah. Like, most GPs would do 5% of the overall raise, right? I was 33, 35% of the total amount bringing to the table. So obviously the upside was strong enough for me to be saying, this is a good deal. We should do it. Here's why I believe it is. What do you think? And, and we did it. So we buy it. It was what? 7.5 or something like that. Yep, and then we put a couple hundred grand into renovation. So total in we're 8.2 mil. And this was about two years ago, a little over two years ago. Um, and we gutted it. Like, what did we do to it? Like, what, what was your philosophy on like, why buy this 56 bucks and what's the strategy here? First off, it's in a good area, but it was distressed. I mean, it was an ugly older property that had really had lots of deferred maintenance. And so we wanted to rebrand it because if we're going to bring in a higher rent rate, a a new tenant base is going to expect something better than what the offering was. And so to start off, we want to paint the exteriors, do a two-tone paint, Fresh, fresh paint goes a long way and it's not an expensive cost. We put new doors on it, lights, numbers. So it just gave it a really nice look. We changed we the name. Changed the name, which was also kind of cool. So I grew up on a street in Park City that always meant something to me, White Pine Canyon Road. And so it used to be called Royal Gardens. We changed it to White Pines. So that was kind of a cool thing. Like when you get to be in charge, like you kind of get to do those cool things, which yeah. gave it a new brand, a new management's in town, new look, new name. And why is that important? You know, there are lifelong tenants out there. There are people who as a kid lived there and now 25, 30 years later, they're still renting and they know the name and brands of these properties. You rebrand something, it changes the association of that property in the tenants, the lifelong tenant people's minds. And they see it as, whoa, White Pines. White Pines is a newly updated, renovated property that's now charging X amount in rent versus the really low rent rates that it used to demand and expect before. It was a bunch of Nepali people. I walk in there, I'm like, wow, it smells like Indian food. Like Strong no, smells yeah, of strong food smells. everywhere. We actually had to renovate the upstairs and downstairs at the same time because if we had you know, someone there cooking below the newly renovated unit, the smells were so strong that the 
the smell of the new fresh paint now smelt like food. And so wow. we actually had to be very strategic about how we renovated the property. And of course, where you're going from like seven fifty a month rent to fourteen hundred a month, which we were charging at the end of the renovation. Guys, did you hear that? That's a massive to fourteen fifty. We doubled the rents. Massive increase. Now the market's been strong here, but more more to that was just how nice of renovations we did. And we would only be willing to do those nice of renovations because Salt Lake's such a strong market right now. High demand, low supply. And so, uh, yeah, started with the exterior, did some landscaping, gave it a new name. And with that, when a new tenant comes in, do they know how ugly the interior units are of the property? No. All they see is the new updated face and and the one unit, right? And so it's like totally interesting in this scenario because you have a bunch of Nepalese in this particular property intermixed with a new tenant who's willing to pay double of what they're paying. So we had to be very strategic of where the renovations took place so we weren't intermixing it too much with the smells and the culture and just the change. And so we started with the northeast side doing the most of the renovations there and worked our way through it. But we're able to get that much higher rent rate because the new tenant looked at, wow, this is a nice looking property. It's, it's older. I can tell it's in an older neighborhood, but there was a lot of gentrification happening, new townhomes being built across the street. So it was a, a good area. And we saw obviously strong demand. We would fill them. We started out having a model unit that we were showcasing, but we realized we don't even need the model unit because these things rent so quickly. So we ended up renting out the model unit and went ahead and just leased them as they were coming ready. Um, but yeah, the interiors, we did some nice improvements for the washer and dryers. There had been a a standalone facility where people had to haul their luggage, not their luggage, but their uh, clothes in wintertime to go wash their, their clothes. No one wants to do that anymore. Maybe in the 70s when this was built, would someone expect maybe in apartments to do that. But nowadays, people expect to be able to wash their own clothes in their apartment, right? So that was something we felt was a must. So we put the stackable washer and dryer. Um, We added a dishwasher. We didn't have to do that. But I think based on the tenants, they all were willing to pay higher amounts by having those amenities in there. And so it was a nice finish, a nice product. And so we increased the uh, net operating income, I think 200,000 from where we had bought it. We took it over about 300,000 a year of NOI and got it to about 500,000 upon selling, which is why we went from seven and a half to 11 and a half sales price in, in just less than two years that we owned it. So just this, what, January we closed? Two January. months ago? Uh-huh. So yeah. two months ago, we sold it. And we renovated how many of the units? 20, 26. 26. So 26 of the units. Guys, you can tell, like, guess how much involvement I had. I went there three times total. And guess who got a lot of the upside? I did. So here's the cool part. Remember how I said, give your money to the people that do things with money? And uh, and what's cool is I literally went there three times. His team. So Jason has a phenomenal team. He's got a property management company. He's got the people that go find the deals. He's got people that go, you know, subcontract out. He's the real estate agent. Like he knows the lenders. Like I didn't have to sit there and do the legal fees, like all that stuff. Like I, I mean, I had to pay, but like, I'm just like, send me DocuSigns and that's all I want to be involved. And cause my time, I know how to go print money elsewhere. I know how to go get sales and do what I'm good at. And if I had to spend so much time writing contracts, negotiating employers, going with contractors and floor plans and picking out paint colors and all of that stuff that takes a lot of time and energy. And that's where people get scared of real estate is I'm like, what if you could 
partnering with somebody that that's their strong suit and you're, you build an, a win-win scenario. So we sell that. I mean, think about that. I put in a million, we buy it, let's say all, all in, we're 8.2 and two years later, you sell it for 11.5. And you know, that 1 million of mine or, or it's half a million of his turned into 2.4 million and you know, same, same ROI here. And so then it's like, okay, now what? And, and this is why he said, you can have either your 1 million of equity in these fourplexes be growing at the natural growth rate of what Utah is going to grow. You're going to collect your rents and congratulations, or watch what we can do with that same. So, so I look at like those townhomes and they've probably appreciate, I sold each one for like 600 grand today. They're probably worth, I don't know, 750. I don't know. 850 even. 850 yeah, maybe. Possibly. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. But I'm like, great. I could have done that. And I could have just kept those for these two extra years, made the extra eight, you know, 800 grand, probably 900 grand. So you sold them for six. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, maybe not. Seven fifty, eight hundred thousand. Yeah. So take one hundred fifty times eight. Yeah, call it an extra million. So naturally, if I wouldn't have done anything, my million would have turned into, you know, maybe one point eight in that range, um, and that's banking on appreciation. So we did what's called forced appreciation, turned that million into two point four, but then also got the tax benefit. So here is why this 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 is the the side of the story no one talks about. So let's get into why real estate for people that are high income earners to to leverage for tax. And this is where it clicked and I go, oh, done. We need to do this. Well, this is meaningful. For meaningful. Right, this is very meaningful. It's not part of the returns that most people talk about. You know about the three most common, cash flow, appreciation, principal reduction. But there is a fourth one, and for some people it can be very meaningful. So in, in 2017, 2018, Trump changed some of the tax policy benefits for real estate investors, those who own real property, where you can take an accelerated amount of depreciation loss known as bonus depreciation. So what we did on, on Royal Gardens, later White Pines, is we did something called a cost segregation study, which actually tells us how much depreciation we can take on the building. There's so much into this, I'm gonna keep it high yeah, level. Keep it high level. Most people do something called straight line method depreciation, where they just depreciate it over 27 and a half years equally over time, and then they use that phantom loss that's not real against the cash flow of the property so they don't have to pay taxes on some of the money that they're making. Some people, however, I'd call it the more sophisticated investor or maybe more wealthy high income earner where taxes are much a, a bigger burden for them, know how to use real estate in a way that can be a meaningful tax shelter strategy of growing their wealth. And in certain circumstances, that depreciation loss, that phantom loss that's not real, can be used against all income that you're making on your tax return, not just the passive income like cash flow that most people are using the depreciation for. And so when we talked about it, and we talked about how much you own in real estate and that you have direct access and some of the things you're doing, we talked about you getting the real estate professional status or someone in the married filing jointly return. It only takes one or the other. And if they do that, it goes from those losses being limited to passive income to all income on the tax return. And so you were making good money, paying a pretty good amount in tax. And so we talked about, hey, 
This is what something my wife and I are doing, Sam. I think this could be applicable for you. Let's talk about it with your CPA. So we got all your advisors and team on board, discussed it and found out you too could be taking that election. And so once you did that, we did the cost seg study. We found out about 30% of the building of what we paid, 7.5 million is what we paid. What would that be? 2.3 million roughly. In the first year, we could write off. Do you guys hear that? $2.3 million write-off in the first year against not passive income, Sam, all income on your tax return. And so all of a sudden, we had a, a significant loss that's not real that we could use against all the income that you were making, that I was making. And I think you said it saved hundreds of thousands of dollars on taxes you otherwise would have had to give the IRS. But I got you- money back in taxes, guys. You got I made money a back. <laughs> yeah. Like I literally got a check back just recently from I, the IRS. I have legally not paid taxes in five years and made a lot of money. And and I make millions of dollars a year. And not only that, I have lots. I have I have tens of millions of dollars of depreciation loss that carries forward every year. My first ten million dollars of income, if I could make that much, would be tax free because I already have a loss to offset it. So if I could make, let's say five million, I'm making this all up, $5 million and I don't have to pay taxes on it, my lifestyle is not such where I'm spending that money. I've got- Let's say he won the lottery. Most people lose half the money right away. He wins the lottery, he keeps 100% of it. 100% of it. And I love investing. Like, you know, we've talked about my past. I didn't come from money. The financial principles were instilled in me in a very early age. I knew I didn't want to go the route my dad went. It didn't work out well for him. He's a great man. But him being an employee and got laid off so many times, I just wasn't going to do that. And so for me, I started with very little. And so I was a great investor. I I saved 75% of everything I earned from an early age, which is why I was able to buy a fourplex when I was in college, ran out all three units, didn't pay a dime in rent because the rents, the tenants were paying the my rents. mortgage for me. <laughs> but that allowed me to compound my money. So I was putting it to work in other assets. I was building something. And so, yeah, I was a millionaire in my 20s, but I was only making 40, 60,000 a year. Like that's you like, that's making like props. 400, 600,000 a year. And some of these guys don't have anything to show for it other than a flashy car or some other things. But those are all depreciating assets that are liabilities in the future. And so For me, I just took a different approach and allowed me to compound things a lot faster. And obviously, when my income started to grow, not paying a dime to the IRS, but getting to keep that money, hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars, in my case, that I otherwise would be paying to the IRS, I now can put into more assets and continue to compound and grow. And so my real estate portfolio, you know, over the last five or six years has really expanded in a very meaningful way. Because instead of giving a million dollars or more to the IRS, I buy more real estate or I diversify my stock portfolio or other things I do. And we've talked about self-directed IRAs and retirement plans, and there's all kinds of things I'm doing there. In fact, this one's important, so I'm, I'll share it with you. When, when you took that designation, just like I have, the real estate professional status, that's now my tax shelter strategy. I don't need to write off all these other things that a lot of people do, which then shows that they make very little even though they're making good money, when the underwriters of lenders look at you, they say, no, you wrote this all off. You can't qualify for a house now. You can't buy this. Because that's the biggest problem. Guys, pay attention. You want to get into real estate and you want to be the guy on the loan, you have to have two years of 1099 tax returns 
showing good enough income to qualify for lending. And so that's a hit or a sacrifice or a delay you might have to take unless you chose to syndicate with somebody else that's going to kind of carry that note. And there's two benefits for that, really. The phantom loss, the depreciation's not real. It gives you all the tax shelter benefits you're looking for to not pay too much in taxes or maybe any in certain circumstances. But when it comes to qualifying for loans and going to buy things, they add it all back. Yeah, it doesn't hurt against your lending ability. So you get the best of both worlds. You yeah. get to you still have strong purchasing power and the ability to get loans on a home or property or whatever it is that you want to buy, but also not pay any taxes because they know it's a phantom loss that's not real. And so that's one key element. But the other thing that you touched on earlier is there's a lot of 1099 income earners that are using all these write-offs so they end up not being able to qualify. Well, when you work with someone like Harris Investment Group, and I'm sure there's other groups doing something similar, we take care of all the financing aspects of it. So what's great about it is as we're making these returns and cash flow distributions, net-net on your tax return to an underwriter, all they see is profit. They add back the depreciation. You get to use that for taxes, so that helps. But when it comes to qualifying, they don't show any personal liability when they pull your credit. No personal liability. You could be making hundreds of thousands potentially in cash flow from properties. All they're going to see is the income with no debt associated to it. So how do you look now to that lender? You're looking yeah. really good, looking really strong. And so some people think, oh, I can't because I'm not making enough. I talked to my lender about it. The underwriter's like, once you make this much, but then what happens when they go talk to their CPA, they're trying to minimize how much you're paying in tax by actually writing off real expenses, which the underwriters won't add back, showing that you made actually at, in the end, not very much, yeah. keeping you from qualifying again. So you've got these guys leasing cars, leasing houses, leasing things, never owning it to get all the benefits of ownership hundred percent, or tax benefits of ownership, which are the most meaningful ways to grow wealth yeah. over time. I love that. So I'm going to, I'm going to say something real quick that is, I'm going to go for a second. People have a relationship when it comes to money. One, they don't want to make too much money because they're like, the more money I make, the more I have to pay in taxes. And some people limit themselves from an income perspective because they're like, man, I hate paying the government so much money. And I'm like, well, that's a terrible nice, oh. <laughs> right? I'm like, what? <laughs> Number two is what helped motivate me to sell a lot more accounts in door to door was I knew this real estate world is exciting and there's a lot of opportunity in it. And so people have a relationship of, I make enough money to live, and it's hard for them to go beyond that. Whatever their living nut is, they're going to make a little more, a little less, depending on how their environment was as they grew up, or their conditioning that they've been built around. And so they work enough, and they subconsciously sabotage themselves to go much, much more on above and beyond, knowing that this vehicle and sales is a complete open door invitation to go make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, yet you're subconsciously sabotaging the opportunity because you're complacent with the income and your needs are being met. And so what I did is I tricked my brain. I said, hey, my need is I have to make an extra 150 after taxes to go put into a fourplex. I'm forcing myself to make an extra dollar amount so that I can go do this real estate thing. And it forced me to sell a higher volume because if I truly wanted and I knew need, need, need real estate, 
and I wanted to play in that game, I had to make a lot more money. Therefore, it motivated me every day when I was on the doors. Because most people are like, what's my why? What's my motivation? And they put a cool car and they put a cool house, but they're like, I don't really need that. Like, that's not really that strong of a pull. What was a real strong was I care about the net worth and the wealth that I'm building so that I don't have to work in the future. Like for me, I like to have my fun. I like to travel. I like to go and and have my freedom and not have to worry ever about money. And that was my why, not to have a flashy Instagram photo. And still to this day, like, I don't think I've ever even posted my truck. Like I have a nice truck, but I could care less who knows what truck I drive. Like, but I'm, but I'm like, I care about that stability in my life because I, I know how important that is to me to have net worth. And so hopefully that helps reframe a little bit the mindset. I don't know if you have something to say on that. But. Well, I came from a different background a little bit in a different space and way of my career than, than the knocking doors. Although I did sales, but it was different being in financial services. So mine was such that I wasn't making a lot of money. And I found all these amazing opportunities with investments that were essentially more meaningful for the wealthy or high income earners in America. And you're like, so for me, it turned the switch where frugality is not the key to wealth building. It's income potential. I have so much limitation. If I'm making 5k a month and I'm just an amazing frugal guy, I maybe I'll save two or 3k of that. That's like totally living bare bones. But what if I earn 10k a month or 20k a month or 50k a month or whatever a month, all of a sudden the ability to put more money to work where I too wanted to have financial freedom, financial independence and stability, or the ability to have my wealth and assets pay for the lifestyle, pay for the fun, pay for the things that I enjoy. To do that, I had to make more money. That was something very evident. And when I learned about the tax shelter strategy, we're in a progressive tax system where every marginal dollar you make more could be taxed at a higher rate. And once you're above 460,000 roughly, married filing jointly, you're at 37% federal, used to be 39.6 and it may go back to that. Plus in Utah, 5% state. I mean, you're at 45 cents on the dollar, which is why some people are like, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah, like FICA and Medicare tax, and then my- Employment uh, tax, federal, property tax, yeah, state, state tax. Whatever. It's up a lot. Exactly, but when I learned about the tax shelter strategy, the bonus depreciation loss, do you want to use $100,000 of loss against a 10% tax bracket that I'm in because I'm a low income earner? Or do I want to use it because I'm a high income earner yes. at 42%? Those losses become so much more meaningful when you're earning big money, lots of money. And it's a phantom loss. Again, all the things I was just talking about. So for me, the motivation became, Sam, where it's like, I have to find a way to earn more because I know things that a lot of people don't know. I know how to utilize them. My predicament right now is such that I can't use it meaningfully. Yeah. So I have to find ways to earn more income. And so that's when things really evolved for me, that the frugality, the the millionaire, ne- millionaire next door mindset of studying the wealthy, the richest man in Babylon, those principles became meaningful where it's like, I have to focus on income because I know how to utilize ways to minimize my tax burden. And then one other thing I just wanted to say that I wanted to mention, when you start utilizing that real estate as a tax shelter vehicle, I was able to start converting all my retirement contributions where I did SEP IRAs or 401ks or traditional IRAs to Roth. And that's typically a taxable event. 
but you can use depreciation loss to prevent the taxable conversion to be taxable. So I was, I was amassing all these depreciation losses from my real estate purchases, and then I was able to, with all the income I was making, max out my retirement accounts and then convert it all to a Roth IRA so I had another bucket of money that was growing tax-free. It's all about permanent tax reduction long-term when you're building wealth. Yeah. So I have real estate that's tax-efficient. I have stocks and crypto and all my other assets in a tax-free account like Roth, and I'm not paying any taxes. And the IRS is looking at me and saying he doesn't make any money because I'm sheltering it through all the loss, the yeah. phantom losses I have. And what's really cool, and this is for years and years down the road, but in retirement, when you go to retire, I could be a billionaire, and I'm making that up, a billionaire, and, and actually still look like I don't make enough income where I could qualify for Social Security not being taxable. So there's three pillars. Because in America, you pay taxes on Social Security going in, and you pay taxes on it coming out when you get it later in life. But ironically, if all your income is real estate or Roth accounts and tax-free, it doesn't show as taxable income. Yeah. So you actually don't I mean, have enough taxable income that you get all your Social Security tax-free as well. It's incredible. That's awesome. It's all about permanent tax reduction, and real estate is the most amazing way to reduce your tax burden and allow you to get other great tax benefits through other tax-free accounts like Roth IRAs and such. So. Well, let's kind of let's let's tell the end cap of where we're at in the story, and then we'll wrap up. Awesome. So we sold it in January, the fifty six plex, and we did what's called a ten thirty one exchange. So all that money we took out, we actually can roll into an upper a, a bigger project, which is called a ten thirty one, and not have any taxable income or taxable event. And so you're letting that money just keep compounding, and we partnered in and bought an 80 plex in uh kansas city and then we bought actually these three office spaces right here i own yeah uh, which is right behind <laughs> us and uh three commercial buildings and then uh um, we're closing on this avalon or we're in dallas which is a 70 72 75 yeah 75 um and so it's diversifying you have one in kansas city one in utah and one in dallas and yeah, kind of talk us through kind of the project here. So it's like you take that equity that you, or the assets that you made, you then go do it again. And what happens when you go make another, I think what we had a hundred and something percent return. Let's say you go do that on this money now over the next two to three years. Then what? You know, it gets exciting, right? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're younger than I am, but we're both young and still have a lot of time to compound and grow, right? So yeah, we put 1.5 in, we exited with 4.3 together. And we identified those three properties that you just mentioned. Um, a little over $20 million of real estate value between the three assets. Um, they're all value-add plays. Value-add meaning what you talked about, forced appreciation opportunity. So we're buying more of a distressed property that's underperforming that has a higher and better use still. We want to go in and find its highest and best use, implement the property plan to get it there, and then capture all that upside so that we can either stabilize it and keep it for stronger cash flow or do what we've been doing, sell it years down if we want to because there's enough equity there in a 1031 exchange, there's no taxes, and roll it up into more, depending on what you and I's goals are, right? And so with that, I think between these three properties, because there's enough upside opportunity, and I wish we had more time to go into that and why they're so good, 
One's a Lura property, which allows us to raise rents kind of like we did with White Pines. It could be an 80% increase to the rent rates. Um, Kings Ridge is a unique portfolio of duplexes that have individual tax IDs. So you talked about your fourplexes. You separate them into individual tax IDs, which it was able to get a premium on them. Well, the duplexes, we could do something similar if we wanted to. And it's a different type of buyer that buys a duplex than someone that wants to buy a big portfolio. Yeah, you get a bulk discount versus, you know, you buy a duplex, there's no bulk discount. Exactly. And people who are buying it in bulk are looking at it from the income it spits out, the net operating income, with what they're willing to pay for it. Duplexes, you've got primary residence owners there who are looking at it as a home, potentially, or a comparable analysis approach of what other things are selling for. I made an extra 50 grand per unit when I subdivided. By subdividing it. And here I'm looking at this, we're buying them for about 244,000 a unit. If we were to sell them off as duplexes, we could probably get 300K a unit type of an amount on the retail side by doing that. So and it's already one. set up to do that. And there's upside. We projected a $1,000 rent rate per unit. There's, these are big two bed, one bath, 1,100 square feet with a garage. We just now, this is before we own it, right? We're about to close on it. Got one for eleven fifty. <laughs> we are yeah, so close. much higher. I mean, this is awesome. Like <laughs> we are sitting really well. And so, I mean, it's just one of those things where four point three, and then three years, two or three years, however long we want to hold these three properties, we're going to be in a great place. Where we're going to get that big jump in rent rates after we renovate some of these properties, increase the leases, doing what we just did with White Pines. Or who knows, we're going to have a very meaningful amount of equity to continue to diversify the portfolio and, and grow it from there. And, and what's so nice is you and I are both in a predicament where we don't need any income from it. They certainly could spit out some nice cash flow if we wanted to utilize it that way. But as of right now, our strategy has more been like, let's just maximize the return and generate the, the best return. And if that means cash flow, then we'll do that. But right now, putting money back into the property because there's still big upside in it has been a more meaningful way to get a return. We could always change that at any point. So I think everybody in their mind is like, why do I want to get into real estate? Well, I want mailbox income, right? Well, the problem is, is like when people look at it, they're like, I make $500 a month on this one. Like I have a, I have a three plex in Murray and I'm like, oh, cool. I just had to get the furnace replaced just barely. And I'm like, Oh, I just ate my whole year of rent. <laughs> I was like, well, now I made $0 this year on the rent, right? And, I, you know, you do the math and you're like, okay, how really meaningful. It's like that's a half of a sale of a half of a sale. If I just in my normal life and all the time and energy when they just had a flood with the toilet. And they just said, you know, and you look at the real return on time and money on real just cash flow of one or two or three properties. It's like the goal would be to say, how do I build wealth? over the next 10 years and be really patient. Like for me, I'm like, keep your day job. Your day job is what you make money in. Real estate is just on the side building this long-term wealth so that when you're 40 or 50 or whatever, you literally could just have the mailbox income and live a good life. Maybe you're making $20,000 net, no matter what, coming every month or 50, you know, whatever that is in your goal. You know, how, how nice would life be? Because if you're an entrepreneur, you're 10 to nine, I look at my dad and I'm like, there's nobody writing his 401k check every month when he retires. Like he had to go make his 401k check. Like you have to plan for things like that. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I coach a lot of business owners and I look at these business owners that are 50 years old and they're all like, Sam, help me, help me. And I'm like, 
well, you're going to do this for four or five years. You still have no money in the bank. And then what? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And I'm yeah. just like, he's like, well, then I'll sell it. And I'm like, you're going to have a buyer buy your business as you're like fading out and you're not even that good. Like, are you really going to live on what the business, like, you know, and, yeah. and I'm like, freak, that scares me. So yeah. I look at life and I'm like, I'm young. I got my body's working great. I'm going to go pound the freaking pavement and do the things required and do the hustle so that this wealth is accumulating. And me, I'm like, I'll be 40. I want to actually be a game show host. I haven't told many people this. I've oh, told this cool. for the last 10 years. I've had the vision. You'd be great at it. When so I'm 45, great. I'm going to start a game show. And <laughs> not even care. You know what I mean? Like, like just, <laughs> yeah, that's the real passion. You really want to know Santana. It's like, I'm going to make a the game dream, show. Living the dream. My yeah. dream life is being a game show host. Anyway, so... Hopefully you guys got some value to this. Guys, like I said, I'm sure, do you have any projects people could get on? Or oh, have... we have several projects. We have six properties right now under contract. Oh, cool. That, that are opportunities. Um, eight, I guess, technically. I'm not counting the two that you and I are doing. But yeah, we're active. We're in fun two right now. And so uh, there's new properties right now that we're working on closing. Um, we've got a couple gas stations, all kinds of tax strategy cool. benefits there, but most of them are value add multifamily apartment complexes across four different states that we're active in. So, so if you have some money chilling, guys, hit up Harris Investment Group, Jason Harris. Um, where can they find you? Jesse Yates uh, would be the best. He's our head of investor relations. You go to our website. Um, gee, I don't even know Jesse's phone number by memory, but it's Jesse at Harris Investment Group. Dot com. Yeah, email. Shoot him an email. We'll absolutely be happy to hop on and, and talk to your own personal situation. Um, want to say this, you know, we could have cash flow from our properties if we wanted to. But when you look at the cash flow we're deriving from ours, from our properties, our portfolio, us dumping it back into the property through more renovation. I use this example a lot. $1,000 is all it takes to buy a storage unit that a tenant may be willing to pay 50 bucks a month for. 50 times 12 months, $600 a year. 600 divided by 1,000 is a 60%, 60% return. However, it's even better than that, Sam, with what you and I do. Because that $1,000 adding $600 a month in rent times 56 tenants, for example, that's like $33,600 more income per year of profit that that property is now uh, spitting out. And we're looking to sell it. Well, that income at a 5% cap rate like Salt Lake is, and it's even lower than that really, is like a 20x on 33000 So that's $670,000 of improvement that someone's willing to pay for the property. And so if we did that on all 56 units, right, that's fifty six grand, but we just turned it into $670,000. That's so much more than 60% return. So it's even better than that. So my, my point in this is why take the cash flow when you and I have enough earned income, active income to meet our lifestyle right now, when we could just take that cash flow, dump it back in the property and greatly enhance the return overall. At some day, you and I are going to want to hustle and be as active. You're going to be a game host. You're going to be living the dream, right? But for now, it's all about maximizing the return because we don't need the cash flow. But again, at any point when we're ready, these are great cash flowing assets. It's just right now, it's not justified to take the uh, cash flow from it when there's other opportunities to make a lot more with that money. So. For sure, for sure. So Jesse, that's who it was. Jesse, hit him up. They have some deals now. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast, and I hope that this inspired you to do some more real estate stuff. And uh, like, subscribe, 
share this with a friend that's interested in real estate, invite you guys to do something different than what you're doing today to build long-term wealth. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Oh,